Let's talk a bunch of different topics. How her career get there. This is a podcast with Lauren Ascari. So this is the podcast with Lauren Asgari, How'd Her Career Get There? And my guest today is Lee George, the CEO of Freedom. So Lee, welcome. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. Thrilled to have you. So for starters, maybe just in a couple sentences, uh, let's start out just telling people uh, what Freedom is. Sure. So Freedom is a marketing and branding unagency. And I call it that because the goal in, in founding the company was to really create uh, an alternative to traditional agencies that kind of come with a fixed set of offerings, uh, pay by the hour, um, billable rate kind of approach um, that tends to be very inflexible. And I wanted to create uh, an option for companies who need help with branding and marketing strategy that was much more customized to their needs, that was much more flexible and and really empathetic and kind of based around what they need and what they're trying to do rather than what, as an agency, I want to offer. And was that something when you were a kid or growing up that you were always interested in the marketing side of things? Never. Never. Okay. Didn't even consider it. <laughs> so what, when you, when you were a little girl, what did you want to be when you grew up? So one of the first things I wanted to do is to be president of the United States. Okay. Um, and along that path, I joined the debate team in middle school, I guess. I was a pretty good debater, but um, not amazing. And kind of along that same time, I really fell in love with art and I was accepted into a summer program with Parsons School of Design to go to France for a month and um, make art with other students. And that really kind of sent me on a whole different path. Um, how, old, how old were you when that was? I was, I think, in 10th grade, so okay. 15, 16, okay. something like that. And um, my high school also had uh, an art history class um, and so I was taking that, and I guess it was AP art history, and I really fell in love with art history um, and just art in general. I never, there was something presumptuous to me about wanting to be an artist. I just felt like, I just, personally, I felt uncomfortable. I couldn't, that wasn't, I mean, I, I, I would make stuff, I would make stuff, and you can see even now I'm, I, it, I have a difficult time saying that I made art as opposed to stuff, but but I didn't. I just didn't think that I wanted to be an artist. I was much more interested in the art history side of it, and so um, I went to college, uh, Sarah Lawrence College, which is a very non-traditional kind of school. So there are no grades, there are no tests. It's all writing. So it, there's a huge emphasis on critical thinking and you know, making an argument through writing. And you also do a lot of independent projects. So you get to really um, kind of self-direct what, what you're studying and the work that you're doing. And so there, I focused almost exclusively on studio art and art history. And I thought I would do something in the art field. So whether it was work in a gallery or a museum, so, like most students, I think, you know, you, you decide to kind of try out and try on those careers through internships. And I hated every single one. So, the first one I did was uh, an intern at a, a very prestigious art gallery in New York City, because Sarah Lawrence is only 30 minutes away, which is great, because I got to get to the city a lot and go to museums and galleries. And uh, this was in the late 80s, early 90s, which was a really hot period for art. And um, I just didn't like it. Uh, I just felt, it felt almost dirty, kind of ta like dragging the paintings out in front of these people and talking about how it looked above their sofa. The, what I loved, which was the art, just seemed to get lost, and it was all—it was really a business, which it is a business. Right, it felt too salesy versus. Yeah, and not didn't really capture my passion around kind of art as a form of communication, um, and and also, I mean, it's beauty, right? So, um, I also interned with an artist. I worked at um, a nonprofit art gallery, very small, and. 
by the time I graduated, I was really, um, I really didn't know what I was going to do to make money because I had sort of tried out these different avenues and I didn't like any of them. And this, and it was a very terrifying feeling. It, I kind of felt like I'd had a great college experience and I felt like, you know, um, an animal that was just suddenly shoved off the edge of a cliff. And um, it sort of marked the beginning of what I discovered throughout my career, which is I did things that I thought I really wanted to do. I tried them out only to discover um, what I didn't want to do. And it was in the discovering of what I didn't want to do that got me closer to discovering what I did want to do. So after college, I moved back home to Atlanta, Georgia, and just did random things. Um, my parents even paid to have me be assessed, you know, to kind of figure out. And, like, none of these assessments worked. They didn't... They, they, in fact, I just remember the people in the company being really confused by me. Like, what are we going to do with her? That's right. not... There's no clear path based right. on... Assess, like, what's her, like, interest or why isn't she interested in one thing? Like, why isn't there a clear path? Like, assessed in what way? Yeah, I think it was kind of... Um, it, you know, uh, like what your interests are, are you extroverted, are you introverted, and then trying to kind of find a career that would match that. Right. And none of it really made any sense. Like, I think that I would be really great working in an agency with designers because no one is like me. No one knows as much about design. No non-designer knows as much about design as I do, but then I also understand the client perspective. And so... Um, as soon as my dissertation was finished, I was. That's when I basically started job hunting to kind of totally shift my career from an academic one to a corporate one, and and really had to completely reposition myself, right? Because I had I had the academic CV, I had published in academic journals, I had given presentations. I mean, I had the credibility of someone who was gonna be a big academic, right. and I just sort of decided, I tossed all of that, so I had to kind of rethink about my experience in academia and reframe it to someone so that they would hire me, which is hard to yeah. do. So my career sort of took a 180, um, and the first job I got was working in-house at a government contractor uh, in D.C., a big one called Westat, and so they had their own creative department. And I worked there as a kind of project manager. And then I realized in doing that, I really wanted to work with an agency because um, I think there was something really sexy and fun about it. It just seemed cooler. Um, and so from there, I left that company and worked at an agency as an account manager. And that's when I really, um, it was an agency that did Marketing as well as um, digital. So this was before social media was on the scene, uh, or just as social media was happening. But it wasn't yet a primary way that companies might engage. Right. I think companies were just starting to think about blogging. So that had been really big, and they're starting to think, "Ooh, is this? Could we apply this somehow?" But nobody was thinking of Twitter as something that you could use as a way to say, "I don't know, engage your customers right. or whatever." Um, and so I really became interested in branding and that sort of the storytelling around marketing, even though I was an account manager, and I think I, I can do that very well in terms of project management skills. It's not, it, it kind of like the art criticism, it wasn't what drove my passion. I discovered what really drove it was branding, was really kind of figuring out what's unique about a company and helping them tell that story. And so... Um, I was actually laid off, so this was the financial crisis of '09, um, and I actually ended up getting hired um, by another agency, very small, which was great because I basically got to kind of write my ticket in terms of, like, this is the job that I want. So I became director of strategy, and that's what I really... that that. Um, I realized was really my passion because I'm I'm much better kind of in that visionary role of kind of big picture thinking, um, helping kind of figure out what the answer is to a client's problem and not so much the execution or managing the execution, even though I can manage the execution. 
So, so when you say like strategy or figuring out a client's problem, that is tied more to like, hey, we're trying to target this particular group of people and what's the best way to reach them from a what our campaign should look like. Or, exactly. Okay. Yeah. And so somebody else to do the fine work on the actual design of things. Right. Exactly. So, um, so in that example, it's kind of helping them figure out, well, who is your target audience? Cause most clients will say everyone. And so, well, that's not exactly true. So helping them figure that out and then figuring out what's the best way to reach them, you know, so what, what channels do that, audience, does that audience use? Does social media make sense? Is it email? Is it a combination of things? Is it paid media? And then, um, and then working with designers, developers who are actually executing on the campaign to make sure that they stay on strategy. So reviewing all the designs and approaches and all of those sorts of things, in addition to making sure things get done on time. Okay. So from... Um, from that company, then I worked at a series of larger, I would say mid-size um, digital marketing agencies, both in D.C. and in Baltimore, um, uh, kind of continuing to do that director of strategy role, um, which I really enjoyed, and doing branding work, so actually branding companies. I think branding is uh, it's sort of a confusing word because people throw it around a lot. So it's not just a logo or the way a company looks, but it's their, it's actually their positioning. What do they stand for? What's the story they tell? What's their messaging? What's their brand personality? So helping define all of those things so that a designer can create a visual identity that capture, captures who they are and what their personality is. So then, uh, and this was around 2013, um, I got the opportunity to work at Ogilvy, which is one of the largest global ad agencies um, in the world. So it was, it was kind of like a dream come true, right? right? I mean, it, it's incredibly prestigious. Um, and I had always been unhappy at my, at like my other companies. I kind of realized the times I was happiest was when I had the most autonomy um, and was able to kind of um, control kind of the processes I used, my approaches to things, all of, all of that. So Ogilvy is an incredible company, but as you can imagine, it's publicly traded. It's very bureaucratic. Right. You're going to have constraints. Right. Right. It's very slow moving. And, you know, it's... <sighs> kind of these years of being unhappy at agencies and it just sort of continued. Um, I realized I also was always better friends with my clients at all the different places I worked. I'd stayed in touch with them. Um, and so that was sort of sticking in the back of my head. Um, I left Ogilvy and worked for a hot second at a, um, it was a health nonprofit because I thought, well, maybe I need to go in-house. Maybe I, I should be an in-house marketer if I'm not liking agencies. And that wasn't the solution. I didn't like that either. And finally, my husband said to me, Lee, if you could walk into any company and... and Design your job. Yeah, exactly. Design your job. Have any job you wanted. Where would you go? And I said, nowhere. None of them I thought would be good fits. Because what I realized was... I really didn't like agencies. There was something wrong with the model that I thought, something that could be improved. And my husband said, well, then you need to start your own company. And I had thought about it. Other people had told me that. I just never, it's scary. I never had the confidence. And um, just some other odd things kind of started happening. And so I realized I really need to do this. And so... Um, I started my own company, and it was based on this idea of, as I mentioned, of being an unagency. So, kind of taking everything that an agency does and doing it the opposite way. So, what was like the gap that agencies have that you saw? Hey, I can do this differently or better. Like, what was that? What were they lacking in your mind that you started your company for? So, I f feel like agencies are too focused on themselves and not focused enough on their clients. Okay. Because it's a service industry, right? And 
Instead of asking clients, what's your problem? They come with solutions. Here's, we can build you a website, email, you know, it's this list of services. You can take it or leave it. You can pay the cost or you can't pay the cost, but there's no flexibility there as opposed to saying, well, what's your problem? Let's see if I can help you with that and go on from there. So one thing I did early on was actually talk to a marketing consultant who worked with a lot of clients, and we had sort of crossed paths at one agency. And, and just basically I said to her, hey, I have this idea for a company. What do you think? Uh, I, I, have a fe- I, I know that clients are really tired of billable hours. They feel like they can't call an agency because when they do, the clock's running and they can hear the money being dropped in the bank. Right, the cash register going. Right. And she's like, yeah, that just drives me crazy. And they bring like eight people into every meeting. And I know that that's expensive because I, you know, start calculating the costs. And um, and they're just so inflexible with everything. And, you know, and went on and on and on. And that really convinced me that I had something. Um, I knew it just because of conversations I had with clients who were working with other agencies or even my own agencies and were complaining. So, um, so kind of the first step I did was, well, I've got to develop a brand. And that, since that's my thing, I have a PhD in branding, it has to be a good one, right? I can't <laughs> mess that one up. That wouldn't work. So um, what I did was take a very lean approach because I also felt like another um, thing that, that agencies weren't doing right was in terms of um, responsiveness, we live in a world where every industry is getting disrupted. You don't have time to work on your website for a year. You need just to get something up as soon as possible and then just test and iterate and improve and fix. And so that is sort of the approach that I take as opposed to being focused around deliverables that you know take a month to do. What I like to do is show progress on a weekly basis and get client feedback because they know more about their business, their customers, than I ever will just because they're in it all the time. And it's not about me being perfect. It's about them getting the solution and the results that they need. So I wanted to take the ego. I thought it was really important to take the ego out of agencies. And I think agencies have really big egos. (laughs) So when I thought about my company and my positioning, what I realized was, you know, my audience who are in-house marketers are incredibly busy, they have no time, they're incredibly stressed out because they're constantly having to prove their worth to others in the company and deal with their own own politics, and they don't have time to innovate. They're so caught up in being a taskmaster and just getting things out the door, they have no breathing room to really think strategically about things. And so... I came up with the name freedom to really encapsulate that idea of giving them breathing space, of, um, of being able to say, what if anything were possible? Um, in a, in a, they live in a world constantly bound by constraints, whether it's time or budget, and I wanted to be able to create a sense for them that they do have a place where they can kind of think and strategize and not be so mired in back-to-back meetings all day long. So um, that's how I came up with the name. And then because I had just started my company and I didn't want to just flagrantly throw cash around (laughs) and I had no clients yet, um, I thought, okay, in terms of designing a logo, I can't design a mark because even though I know a lot about design, I'm not a designer. So I... What's a mark? Define it. Oh, like a logo mark. So, um, you know, if you think of the Apple, Apple or... um, uh, I'm trying to think of, of course, now my mind goes like blank. Like Nike check mark. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Some, something like that. So I knew it had to be uh, a typographic mark. It had to be the name of the company. I was like, I know enough about design. I can, and, and how, like the difference between serif and sans serif and blah, 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 uh, and colors. So, be- so a mark is like literally the... The like the logo, the logo, Anything? right? Okay. Yep, exactly. I just learned something. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I went with just doing a logo type, which is basically a mark made up of just the name in letters, right? There's no picture associated with it. 
Um, and I chose all lowercase letters that are very rounded because they're, they come across as more friendly and welcoming than, say, all caps or really hard shapes. And then I chose orange because with a name like freedom, I definitely need to stay away from blue or red. <laughs> I didn't want it to, I didn't want someone to misinterpret the, what so the company was. Right. Yeah, exactly. So orange is bright and happy and warm. Again, I was trying to, I made conscious decisions that I thought aligned with the personality and the brand that I wanted to create. It's my favorite color too. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad that worked out well. <laughs> Um, I'm sure that was a fact. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> the back of my mind. Um, and I uh, found a service where I could uh, pay a dollar a month for email and get a one-page website up and pay, I don't know, like $30, $40 a year to host it. Because I knew that um, I wasn't going to be getting clients who were Googling branding and looking for me but it was going to be by word of mouth. So uh, a website wasn't that important. So I, I really thought strategically about how can I get up and running quickly and put the emphasis on finding clients than creating all these kind of vanity things that make me look like a big shot because I felt like I uh, was a VP at Ogilvy, so I'm a senior level person. I have a PhD in branding. My credentials are already there, so unlike... Um, I think younger people who don't have that sort of work experience, credentials, and name recognition, it's much harder. But for me, I knew I could use my network to start um, getting clients, which is exactly what I did. Um, so you're looking for the website to just be almost, uh, not even legitimized, but just something to check a box of like, hey, we're a real company, we have a website. Right. And actually to drive business. Right, exactly. And I actually also created a Spotify playlist with um, music that I thought was on brand. So it's all about kind of, well, it's all about freedom, right? Being, being able to do what you want to do. Um, and I actually got some really fun response for that because, again, it's not something that you typically see companies doing. And I think music is very emotional and it can really um, bring your mood up or bring your mood down. And so I wanted like very... Um, uh, like high energy dance kind of music. Um, so I also did that. Um, and this April, I will be celebrating my third year anniversary of my awesome. business. Awesome. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Advance. Thank you. It's very exciting. And I'm getting ready to hire my first employee, knock on wood. Right. Um, so it's, uh, and I guess I should say, I finally feel like. I'm where I need to be. I, I'm much more happier than I've ever been. Um, I feel like uh, I don't n know that I necessarily work harder, but I, I do think it's more balanced. Um, and obviously when I'm working, all of that revenue comes directly to me. I'm not working for someone else. Uh, I'm taking many more vacations than I ever took when I was working for someone else. So I think um, it's, it's been great. And I've also become really fascinated in the future of work and kind of looking around and seeing a lot of my peers starting their own businesses, um, an extraordinary amount actually leaving corporate America and people at my stage of career development um, deciding that they've had enough. A lot of them are women um, to start their own companies. And... I, my office is in a WeWork, which is a um, global co-working company, and I think that has made it really easy to start your own business. And so I'm just really interested to see where things go because I think it's going to be really hard for traditional companies to find great talent because I think those smart people are starting their own companies. And what do you think... So this actually just led me to like a million questions running through my mind because I think it's such an interesting topic. What do you think, so I'll break down kind of a couple different questions a couple different ways. What do you think for people starting their own business, well, let me ask for you personally, what was some of the fear or hesitancy that you had in starting your own business? You said earlier that you were like, oh, I was a little nervous or confident. Right. Elaborate on that a little bit. It was all money, right? I just thought I'm going to be homeless on the side of the road. Um, and I can't, I just... I think that really terrified me. And I think it's one of those things like 
when you jump off the diving board for the first time, the high dive, you just have to do it. It's kind of like I have two children. Um, I probably should have been much more terrified of having children than I was, like because you really have no clue as to what you're getting into. Right. Um, you don't know if it's actually working until you know, yeah, 20 yeah, years later. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I think it's just, for me, it was fear of, I can't do this because you're supposed to have a full-time job and health insurance and benefits and all of these things. And I was extremely lucky to have a husband who was incredibly supportive and really probably more than anything pushed me and just said, "You've this is the time. What was the time? Do you remember like either the moment or the thought, or maybe it was a conversation with your husband that just clicked, like, did it just click like, yeah, I have to do this, I'm going to try it? Or did you kind of just dip your toe in, starting a little bit? Well, I think I had actually um, applied for a few jobs uh, at agencies and just really felt like the interviews were like really depressing. Like, no, I just can't, no, this is not. And that sort of was it for me. Like, no, I really have to, to do my, start my own company. And why do you think, you mentioned earlier that you're, some friends of yours, you're kind of seeing it maybe start to be a trend a little bit. Right. Why do you think that is? Like, what is corporate America, what could they do, traditional, I'm air quoting, corporate right. America, do differently to retain talent? I don't know. I think it's hard because there's so, I mean, especially if it's a public company, you're, you know, legally bound by certain things, right? Which means you have to have people do timesheets, which everyone hates and is a total waste of time. So for example, I don't track my hours. I do a flat fee. And so it's basically value-based pricing. And it has been, I cannot tell you how fabulous it has been because what it does is it takes the money off the table. You talk about money in the beginning with the client. You may negotiate the cost and change the scope, whatever, but then it's done. You never have to talk about it again. So you can really focus on building a deep relationship with your client versus at an agency that has a billable hour, you're constantly, because you're tracking budget against time all the time, you're constantly having to go back to the client and say, this is where we are on budget, we're about to go over, you're dealing with change orders, which are really irritating for clients. And so basically, because I have this flat cost, even if the scope changes, as long as the amount of work stays the same, I can do anything you want. So I, I had a situation recently where my client contact at the organization left and took another job. And so you can imagine that created some chaos within the organization. Like, what are we going to do? And I was able to support them however they needed to be supported. I wasn't there at this incredibly stressful time for them saying, I'm sorry, that's going to be a change order. And this is, you know, because, I mean, that's not how you build relationships. So if they had said, we want you to do something completely different, it's going to be this, you know, incredible level of effort, then I would have talked to them about, well, let's create a separate scope for that. But I feel like the way um, that I've that I've structured the costs just works so well with what clients need, and I think it's really hard. For example, in my industry, for especially as I said, if you're a publicly traded company, to be able to do that, I think smaller agencies could potentially do that. I just I think the other challenge that they have is trust. I don't feel like they trust their employees, which is one reason why they're asking them to document every six minutes they spend on something. And um, what's really interesting to me is when I look at, when I think back to college, right? So you go from high school, which is incredibly regimented, and you don't have a whole lot of autonomy. You get to college, and you have tons of autonomy, and you're expected just to show up at certain times and to you know, be in a class, and then you either do your work or you don't, and you get dinged in the form of grades or you get kicked out, but it's up to you. And then you get a job, and it's like you're back living with your parents again. People are telling you to sit at this desk for eight hours, and you can't leave during the day to go do something fun that might, 
you know, help get your energy level back up. And so I think companies that don't embrace a more flexible approach to work and um, give people the choice about where their work is done, like who cares as long as the work is done? What? Do I really need to sit? Do we really need to sit in the same building for eight hours so that I can see that you're working at your computer when I know at some point you're on Facebook? I mean, who cares? So when you're talking about like the future, the interesting part to you, the future of work and where mm-hmm. it's going, you think that you're going to see a shift or we're already starting to see a shift with a lot more people starting their own businesses or small businesses. What's your perspective on that? Yeah, I think they will if they can't find what they need in a traditional environment. Because I think what people are looking for is a great amount of flexibility, uh, independence, um, the ability to do the kind of work that they want to do that's fulfilling to them with people that they enjoy being around. So it's interesting as I look to hire my first employee and suddenly I have to think about things like vacation policy and I've decided I'm going to have a I'm not going to have a vacation policy. Take as much, you know, if you need to take a break, take a break. You got to tell me in advance and you got to make sure all your work is done, but or covered. But I don't have time to track that bureaucrat like tracking hours or tracking vacation time or tracking any of that stuff takes away from time that I could be helping my clients solve problems. And that's why I did this. That's why I started my company was to help clients not to um you know, keep track of hours. So I can tell by talking with you about this, like you're very passionate <laughs> yes. about it. This is audio, so nobody else can see it, but um, yeah. it, it looks like you're very passionate about the topic. Yeah. So I think, you know, I want to create an environment that's more like college and less like like a traditional corporate environment. So working, so we're in the WeWork office right now, which is, which I've told you when I walked in, it's just awesome. And there's like a lot of natural light. I don't know if it's just, this is the only one I've ever been to, but it's a fantastic location. Um, Working in something like this, as opposed to an incorporate, uh, I'm air quoting again, a traditional office space, um, not shared office space. Do you lose an interaction with people? Like talk a little bit about your experience with that in Um, the co-working space. No, I don't think so, because there's always people around. There are common areas, um, kitchens, and uh, with tables and lounge spaces where you can just, you know, strike up a conversation with people, or just there's also um, an online portal, so you can see what other members are in the different buildings, the different locations, and you can reach out and set up coffees with them easily. So I've never felt isolated here at all. Um, in fact, I like being around people doing things completely different from what I'm doing because it helps me get out of my head and just appreciate the larger world and even find, um, like there was a, um, a startup here that's in the health tech space and I just, um, they wanted to pick my brain about marketing and I was happy to do that. So it's just, because um, actually one of my clients um, has an event that they may want to be at in order to promote their product. So it was just nice kind of connecting the dots. And I just feel like it works much better for networking because, you know, you've, you've heard the, the saying, it's always better to network um, to kind of get outside of your social groups because you're going to meet more people, right? So here I'm mixed in with a bunch of people, most of whom are much younger than I am, which is super cool and exciting. And there's um, uh, an online fashion magazine that launched last year, and I've become really good friends with the editor-in-chief of that because I love fashion. So it's just a really super cool... There are people I never would have met had I not been here. Yeah. What was for you throughout your career in terms of people that you... Do you feel like you had mentors throughout your career? Uh, that's a great question. So my last mentor was probably in college. Okay. It was a woman. Um, at Sarah Lawrence, they have um, they use sort of the British Don system. So your first year, you are assigned to Don, who is your academic advisor throughout your time in college. Um, and mine, not surprisingly, was my art history teacher. And she was amazing. So she um, was a professor at Sarah Lawrence, but she also owned her own gallery in New York. And so she would have all of her students, like at holidays, come over for a party. Um, She would invite us to her gallery openings. And she was just incredible. 
And I kind of felt like it sort of set me up for disappointment <laughs> for the rest of my career because I was literally unable to, I haven't had any mentors since college um, where either the what's interesting, I would say, I'm trying to think, most of my bosses have been men. Um, and I just, they, it was not good. <laughs> so The relatability or it, the, there was, the champion for you? or Yeah, none of that. Um, and even, and just unfortunately, I didn't meet any other women outside of my job who would have been good mentors or I wasn't smart enough to realize that they would have been. Um, Do you think that matters or mattered looking back? I think it's really important. And in fact, it's one of the reasons why I wanted to hire an employee. Um, Because I had thought that it would just be me. I would just be doing kind of the consultant thing. But I realized if, if I want to expand and work with clients outside of my own network... I can't, I, I need more scale. I can't, I'm only one person and they're only eight hours in the day. Um, but also I really miss mentoring. I really missed having a team and working with young people. Ugh, that sounds, makes me sound so old. But people early on in their careers. People early, there yeah. <laughs> um, and just helping them build them their skills, uh, learn new ones, um, guide them, help them make smart decisions. Uh, hopefully help them avoid mistakes that I made in my career. Um, and so I'm really, uh, that's one thing I'm really looking forward to because I feel like that is so important because um, I think that's another thing that's happening. You know, when my in my parents' generation, you worked for the same company your entire career, and it was a very sort of paternalistic relationship where they took care of you. There were often pensions after you retired. And since that has sort of gone, and that I think has been dismantled probably in the last 20 years, it's, I mean, it's just chaotic. You know, there are layoffs all the time, not necessarily connected to any kind of overarching economic situation, but, um, and I think some of it's driven by disruption where companies have to pivot and do something else, or they're, um, they've been acquired or whatever the situation and I think it's incredibly destabilizing, right? And I think that's another reason, why, by the way, why I think people are starting their own companies because they're like, I just need more control over my career. This is, I just can't be at the whim of these forces that I have no control over. So I think it's really important. Um, it's, you know, working is hard enough to then on top of it have to stress out about is the ax going to come for me tomorrow or you know whatever it might be so I think it's really I think having a mentor is really important and I, I really I'm envious of those people who have had them throughout their career is there something looking back at any point in your career that you would have like a misstep that you feel you made or something you would tell your younger self like eh Lee maybe next time do it this way if you could redo it and that's not to it's, say that you regret anything, right? Because yeah. it's where you are today. Yeah. But is there anything like, oh, I walked out of this meeting and I remember like, oh, I, I don't want to do that again. Yeah, I, I don't. There's nothing that sticks out because I think I always think of my career as I've gotten where I am because I tried something and realized it wasn't for me. Um, so I think, I mean, one thing I do remember as a teenager and even in my 20s, I was very wary of networking because I thought there was something kind of icky about it, like you were asking someone for something. Um, and I remember my mom always like really pushing me toward, and I maybe too, I had a bad relationship with my mom when I was younger, so maybe that was part of it. Um, we are fine now. Um, I think, I, I guess I wish I would have embraced networking earlier, and I think it's something that um, people started, starting out in their careers don't understand the importance of, that it's really, and it's not about schmoozing, it's really being there and offering to help other people. And also just kind of widening your network because those people then can talk about you to other people and promote you and be your advocates. And so I think, um, I just think it's incredibly important and it always 
I think it's interesting when I'm talking to people early in their career and they barely have a LinkedIn profile, but meanwhile, they're super savvy on every other social media channel. And I just think of LinkedIn as like the little redheaded stepchild that no one wants to play with. And it's my favorite um, social media platform because there's so much, I use it for business intelligence, for research, for it just, I'm on it every single day. And it's just another tool that helps me network more effectively because I can see where people went to college. It just helps build a personal relationship much faster. So I would say networking is is one thing that I think you really need to embrace, you know, as soon as you can. Immediately, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So what? So you mentioned earlier that you're a fashion girl. Yeah. And uh, and talking about different networking events, what do you wear to uh, whether it's a sporting event with a client or a networking event? Um, I guess you don't do too many interviews nowadays, but um, but just general like professional dress. What would you suggest yeah. people wear? So I'm kind of weird because I'm my personal brand is very connected to not just fashion but kind of like daring crazy fashion so I have clients that joke with me about the fact that they've never seen me out of heels and by heels I mean like four inch heels so I wouldn't recommend that people I can dress this way because I've kind of created a brand around it and in fact I feel like people expect me to like look crazy when I show up this is I'm actually very boring looking today I apologize <laughs> I love the um, thank you so, but I think, and the whole thing about dress and professionalism and career is interesting, right? Because in the 2000s, when you had that first um, dot-com boom and bust, is when everybody started wearing, like, well, it was mostly men, first of all, and so they all started wearing jeans, and it was really, you know, my dad loves to tell the story of when Casual Friday first happened at his um, uh, company, and how it totally got out of hand and they had to rein it in. And so I think for me, it's a personal decision, but you also have to think about the context that you're walking into. So if you're going to a networking event at a law firm, chances are people are going to be in suit and tie and the equivalent for women, which is like skirts and a jacket or a blouse or a dress. So, you know, you don't want to look like you showed up at the wrong event. So you want to dress like it makes sense to be there. And I think especially if you're younger and you're trying to create a reputation for yourself, um, I think it's always better to kind of dress up than to dress down. Now, you know, you've got to think about both for you what's personally comfortable but also what does the context call for so there's no there's no right or wrong answer it's really i think it's always more contextual um but i know for me i would rather err on the side of being um dressy the guy that manages my uh finances told me this story that i thought was amazing having to do with dressing so he's around my age but most, a lot of his clients are older and, and conservative. He uh, is based in Atlanta, Georgia, which is, in general, very conservative. And especially when you think of someone managing your money, you don't want to think of them as being very daring or extravagant, right? So what he does is, for the suit that he wear, suits that he wears, he goes to his tailors, his tailor, and says, "I um, don't tell me what is like cutting edge now." And it's usually driven in terms of men suiting uh, by Europe. He says, I want to know what was in fashion for men's suits, the styles, two years ago. Because he wants to look, um, he wants the clients to shine, and he wants to look more conservative and in order to get the respect and confidence of those clients. Which I just thought, I mean, he's putting a whole, so much thought into right, this, right? right? Which was just fascinating to me. Yeah. So I think, because it really, it's, it's about creating a personal brand and your image. And, you know, you might think it's convenient just to slip on some sweatpants and a t-shirt, but what is that saying about you? It, it clothes, like any other visual, create an image. And so is if the image you want people to have is that you know you're a slob or or you are very thrifty or whatever it is you want to be conscious that your clothes reflect that 
What is, uh, you talked earlier a little bit about just that you have a husband and two girls. Right. Uh, What is the, and I use the word balance just because I can't think of another right word to use, but I actually don't like the word balance because for some reason that, I don't know, I think of it as like, I feel like there's somehow this conception sometimes that there's like a work mom and a home mom oh. and they're like two different people or something as opposed to just like there's one Lee and she's right. a bunch there's different aspects to her uh, but anyway that's a whole, right. different, whole different topic <laughs> I guess um, but talk a little bit about your the balance of work family has that been difficult not yeah. difficult yeah I hate that phrase work-life balance because yeah. we all know it's ridiculous yeah. there is none right as soon as Steve Jobs brought the iPhone into our life, or the BlackBerry before that, I guess, really, right? Or even pagers. Um, It's interesting. I grew up, my mom was one of the only moms I knew that worked outside the house, because this was in the 70s. And she was a real estate agent. She's still a real estate agent. She will be a real estate agent until she dies. She is never retiring, um, which is probably where I get my <laughs> inability to slow down right, and relax. Right, work um, so she worked seven days a week, right? Because there's no weekend for real estate agents. If anything, they're probably busier on the weekend. So she never, like that notion never even existed. And I think... One thing that was interesting for me growing up is looking back, I realized that the gender roles in my house were totally reversed. So my dad was more of, even though he you know, worked full time, um, was the more nurturing and caring and involved parent. And my mom was the more emotionally distant and not around as much parent. And so uh, <laughs> I always joke that in terms of my relation with my dad, it kind of ruined my chances with having relations with men because I expected them all to be nurturing and caring, which yeah, it took me a while to find the right one. Right. Um, but then for my mom, I feel like she's created this amazing model of what a woman could be, um, especially at a time in the 70s where the women's movement was really taking off and it was sort of just... I never questioned that I couldn't do whatever I wanted to do. That just... that I never questioned that I was somehow weaker because I was a woman. So um, it was it was something that just never even occurred to me. Um, and I think that that has been really important as I have grown and gotten married and had children that when I was little, my parents went out a lot, so they had their own life. And I see so many people where when they have kids, it just, the children just consume all the air in the room. They just don't have a life anymore. And it was really important to me to, to make sure that they understood that while they're important, they are not my whole life that I am not only just a mother, I'm a wife, I'm a friend, I'm a business owner. Uh, so it, it's important, I think, to continue to have, not beyond your children, have a relationship with your husband, right, and continue to do things with him, but also you can't get everything from one person, right? You Friends feel certain needs, your job feels certain needs, and so... To, to be able to, I'm not going to use the word balance, but do all of those things. And I think, too, what's great about um, things like mobile phones is I can take time off to go to my kid's school in the middle of the day or, like, on Tuesday I'm going on an all-day field trip, but I can still stay connected. If there's an emergency, I'm there. I can take care of it. So I think it's... To my struggle is just turning off and stopping working. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not so much about balance, but it, it's about making sure that I rest my body and I feed my body good food and I exercise and get enough sleep and all of those things, um, as well as spending time that's meaningful with the people that matter to me in my life, whether they're my children or my husband or my friends. Um, maybe two, three years now, have been meditating. And I just use the Headspace app. Um, and it's been transformative because it really helps me when negative emotions, I, I literally can feel them creeping up. I can acknowledge them and then move on to 
get back to what I was doing. And I think in terms of your point of being present, it really helps me focus no matter what I'm doing or, or who I'm with. And I think it's just, um, I, I just, I can't say enough. I think it's, I think everyone should do it. I think the world would be a much happier place if Were we you, all meditated. <laughs> have you always been like that in terms of the awareness of, ah, oh, I'm starting like, whatever it is, stress, negative thoughts? No, I would, they would take hold of me and I would freak out. What changed that for you? Like meditating, but being able, like one day you were just like, I'm going to try meditating and see if it works Um, for me. I was seeing a therapist and she recommended it. She actually said, she admitted to me, she's like, I didn't think you'd like it. I didn't think you would be able to like sit still and focus. So I'm very proud of you for doing that. That's awesome. I'm going to go, this is uh, how I close out. I'm going to do a couple of rapid fire, random questions. Okay. Either or, uh, they're not too heavy at all. So, uh, sun or moon? Sun. Hot or cold? Hot. Small plates or big dish? Small plates. Astronaut or deep sea diver? Ooh. Well, my first, like, reaction was fear of both of them. (laughs) uh, I'm just going to say astronaut. Okay. Uh, On the beach or in the water? Beach. And treadmill or elliptical? Ooh. Elliptical, definitely. All right. I will say, one thing we didn't talk about, I sort of mentioned it, was exercise. And I do interval training, which I love. And it incorporates weights as well, so you get weightlifting as well as aerobic exercise. And it that's something else, I think, that just recharges me. It's... I just really, it's, I also do take classes at the Y for interval training. And so you get that sense of community because you're seeing the same people. So I think whatever exercise you like, I think that's also just really important as, as another way of taking care of yourself. Yep. Absolutely. Mind, mind, body, and soul. That's right. Um, Suli, if people want to get in touch with you or follow you on LinkedIn or whatever, sure. what's the best way or your, your company website, what's the best um, way? Yeah, you can check me out on LinkedIn. Okay. Definitely. Right. And the tip, if you would like to get in touch with me, don't just uh, send out a request to connect, but explain why. So, for example, you might say, oh, I heard you on the podcast and you said this and to give me some context for why I should connect with you. Perfect. I love the tip. Thank you so much for being here. This was a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun. Absolutely. This is Lee George, and that's it, the Lauren Asgari Podcast.